now on the pulse, it's dying to talk. Join us each weekend as we cover the funeral industry. Now let's join Buddy, your host, for today's show. Good morning, and welcome to Dying to Talk. I am your host, Buddy Finneff. I'm a licensed funeral director and the owner of Finneff Funeral Homes and Crematorium and our sister company, the Cremation Society of New Hampshire. We have locations in Manchester, Glasgow, and Littleton, and in Hampton. Um, Co-host this morning, Amanda Damaris. For those of you that are frequent um, listeners, Madison Fortin, who's our other co-host, unfortunately, could not make it this show. So she will be missed, but I'm sure, Madison, you can certainly... Enjoys. Fill in the void. Yes. She'll enjoy sleeping in <laughs> and this talk morning. more. Um, for those of you that might be tuning in for the first time, Dying to Talk is a lighthearted and upbeat discussion of those topics no one really wants to talk about. Each week we examine an aspect of funeral service uh, with a guest who is an expert in that area. And this week, I am the guest, and because I am the expert in the area, we're going to be talking um, about funeral laws, rules, regulations, both state and federal. Um, for those of you that, that do listen, a few weeks ago, we actually did part one of this show, and we just had too much content, too many questions. Um, we had some viewers um, email us with some questions, so we figured we would dedicate a second show to talking about about this uh, topic. I believe the first show was ran on the 14th of May. Um, so today, we're going to get through some of those other questions, maybe getting a little deeper into um, some of the aspects of some of the laws and what consumers can do if they've had an issue with a funeral home, sort of get into the nitty-gritty a little bit more. Um, if you would like to suggest a topic for future shows, please email us at buddy at finef.net. That's buddy at p-h-a-n-e-u-f.net. Um, or you can send us a comment on our Facebook page at FNF Funeral Homes or the Cremation Society, or you can tweet us at at cremation nh. Um, when we continue, more of Dying to Talk right after this. Welcome back to Dying to Talk, and I'm your host, Buddy Feneff. And as we mentioned before the break, um, we're doing a part two, sh a part two show today um, on funeral laws, rules, and regulations, both at the state and federal level. Um, Mandy and I are going to talk about some of the some of the issues. If you um, are a tuner inner to our to show, a it's not a, I don't that's think not that's a proper word. English. If you, if you have <laughs> tuned into our show in the past. Um, we did a part one of uh, the show back in May, and we talked about Federal Trade Commission um, regulating the funeral industry in terms of price disclosures, um, embalming issues, when you need to embalm, when you don't need to embalm, caskets. Um, we talked about some other pricing and how a funeral home must itemize. But this week, we want to get into a little bit deeper uh, and talk to some other and talked about some other areas in terms of maybe getting some cemetery requirements. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the things that people don't really think about. Of course, you're going to think about you know when do I have to embalm? What you know what do I have to do for cremation? But right. thinking about you know what you need for the cemetery and uh, you know who who has the right to make arrangements. That's not always something people think about right off. Well, let's the bat. let's talk about that, Manny. Let's <laughs> talk about because this one of the issues that we deal with. I don't want to say on the daily basis because it's exaggerated, but a weekly basis is. Who has custody and control? Right. Uh, you know, most of the time it goes along pretty smooth. Um, you know, everybody works together. But every now and then you'll encounter a family where everybody is at odds. They all disagree on everything. And it comes down to us to inform the family as to who actually gets to make these decisions. And then you have issues with, oh, there's an estranged spouse. Right. And there are three kids, two of which are in the lives of the deceased, but there's a third that's not, who mm -hmm. now all of a sudden wants to get involved. Mm -hmm. So It can get ugly. It, can, it really can. <coughs> so, 
So basically, the 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 laws in New Hampshire, um, and it's it's regulated under RSA three twenty five section. If any of you have any interest in, in delving into the law, look it up. It's fun it reading. <laughs> um, talk. There's actually a section on custody and control. Right. And the law in New Hampshire now it varies from state to state. So if someone says, "Oh, this is not true," when my mom died, when your mom died in a different state, possibly the laws are different in in all fifty states. But the laws in New Hampshire are such that um, there is a designated list of custody and control. It goes for, to a spouse. Always spouse first. Always right. spouse. If there is no spouse, then it goes to children. Mm-hmm. Majority children that of, are of age. Yeah, and, and in, in New Hampshire, all children have equal next of kinship. That's so correct. So it's not you know the eldest child. Or dad loved me male. more than you. Right, or right. No, we get often where um, situations where, well, there's two kids, but m- mom lived with me, and mm-hmm. I was her caregiver, therefore I should have more say. Right. And unfortunately, that's not the right. case and biological and adoptive children are they are considered next of kin on an equal level not stepchildren not stepchildren, not stepchildren. biological and adopted from there it goes to grant if there are no children or a children can't be found i mean there are cases where there are biological children but hey you know we haven't seen my sister mm-hmm. um, or we haven't seen the daughter for for decades or, or years and we don't know how to get in touch with them uh, it goes to grandchildren right from there if there are no grandkids and there are no children, and there is no spouse, it goes to parents. Mm-hmm. If there are no parents living, then it goes to brothers and sisters, nephews and nieces, and then really what's left whoever's after that. left, friends. <laughs> or, mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, oh, I was, you know, I was, I'm power of attorney. Well, power of attorney right. goes away when someone passes away. We had a situation, um, actually I'm working on a situation right now with a family where um, the next of kin is an estranged spouse who no one can find. The person had a had another, you know, quote unquote, friend who was their power of attorney, and they want to make arrangements. There's a, a daughter who was out of the picture, and the and the, the next of kin, who was a power of attorney. Um, power of attorney goes away when you pass away. So we're now getting involved with some yeah. That's some a, that's dynamics. a big one. Most people think, oh, I have power of attorney. I I have durable power of attorney. Yeah. That means I can do whatever right. I you know whatever needs to be done. And that's that ends the moment somebody passes away. And it's not it's not necessarily common knowledge that right. that's the most people that's just the case. That, that's one thing that has always been baffling to me is mm-hmm. that when people become power of attorney, they're not informed that that is no longer standing after death. So. Now. In some cases, a family member chooses to not, you know, there may be a spouse, there may be kids, there may be a, you know, the, the legal next of kin based on the order we talked about, but that person chooses to not want to do anything. Right. Um, we had a situation not too long ago that there was a spouse, legal spouse, um, but she was somewhat estranged, and there were a couple daughters, and the spouse chose, I don't want to be involved, I don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't letting her daughters make the decision. You can't do anything without me, but I'm not doing anything. She, she, I, I think in this case, she was thinking that if she did nothing, the state would step in and pay for things. A lot of this, unfortunately, boils down to money and who's paying for it what. Does, it's true. And the, the law in New Hampshire is quite clear and says that if the legal next of kin is uncooperative and chooses to not move forward, then after three days of non-cooperation, 
they lose their authority to be the decision maker and right. it falls to the next and and we Mandy you you know that we have to sort of enforce that sometimes and say hey you know you mm -hmm. can't drag your feet forever I get the fact that you're grieving I get the fact that you don't want to make a decision but you can't choose to do nothing for weeks on end and assume that it's, yeah it's not going to go away if you ignore it right um, and that that holds true that three-day rule holds true for people who are non-cooperative as well as people you can't find um, so if, if there is an estranged spouse and we can't find that spouse, even though they are legal next of kin, um, after three days of honest effort trying to locate this person, it goes down to the next person down the line. And we do. I mean, we're not, we're not private investigators, right. although we somehow end up acting as them. <laughs> um, but oftentimes we're, you know, we're working with the police to try to track down next of kin. We're the working with the medical office. examiner. Um, a few weeks ago, we were working with uh, the Manchester Welfare Department of someone that passed that, that was a known person to them and in their records with welfare. They had a, um, they did have a list of a daughter out of state, and they ended up tracking the daughter down. Yeah. Um, so it does, everyone's it sort does of, work sometimes. It does yeah. work sometimes. And that, that three-day rule is very, very helpful in getting peace and closure to the remaining family members who do want to cooperate, who do want to move forward. Um, they're not waiting weeks on end to for somebody to make a decision or to go to probate court because that's the, lo the next logical step when everybody's fighting nobody can agree it goes to probate court it, and the probate judge will you know the family and this this happens um it happens fairly and you know this um as well mm -hmm. as i do it happens fairly frequently when people are fighting over who gets the cremated remains that happens all the time yep and they can't decide, and we want to split up dad's cremated remains, and no, we don't want to split one of this, and they can't agree on anything, and ultimately we send them to probate court, um, and the probate judge will decide who gets what. So it's one of these things, in some cases, be careful what you wish for. Right. Because, you know, you want to wish through this, now you're, you know, you're potentially paying attorneys and probate fees, and things are getting delayed, and it could delay the cremation, could delay the memorial service, could delay everything. Mm -hmm. um, we, it I, can ruin your, your family yeah, relationships. I, yeah, we, I remember we had a situation not too mm -hmm. long ago where the, the daughter said, I'm going to go to probate court, and everything was on hold, and she had scheduled the service, and things got delayed for several weeks mm -hmm. until the family was able to work it out. Um, they got an appointment with the probate judge, and it was a back and forth, and then they had a second appointment with the judge, and then come to find out there was other family members that sort of came up through the woodwork that mm -hmm. had their own opinions about things, and it was just a very, very messy situation yeah so we've covered when everybody wants dad's cremated remains or everybody wants to decide where nana is going to be buried what about when there's nobody somebody passes away and there's just no one to take control well i think there's a misconception that because someone passes away without family or known family that that person is, is indigent Right. And it's like a state thing, mm -hmm. and the state's going to pay. Well, first off, in New Hampshire, there is no longer state welfare. Um, we have a show coming up that I, I want to address the topic about welfare assistance so we can sort of talk, talk about it a little bit here. But there's a misconception that, if, oh, someone passes away, it's the state's responsibility. There is no state welfare. Mm -hmm. So if someone passes away and there is no family, or if there is family and the person's indigent, and I'm not – actually answering your question by will in a second then it follows <laughs> taking to, the scenic route then, then it follows to the responsibility of the welfare department in the city or town the person was a resident of so if if joe passes away at the elliott hospital or concord hospital or, or wherever and has no known family we can't simply say and we're called to, to assist we can't simply say oh 
Concord Welfare, because the person was a Concord resident, is going to pay for it. They have to make sure that there's no funds. If there are no funds and there is no family, then, then in most cases, yes, mm -hmm. the welfare department will end up paying, and we have a special social services program that discounts the fee to accept the welfare benefit pretty much for, for the cremation. Um, but if someone passes away and there is money, then it's not the taxpayer through the welfare department that's going to pay for this. Ultimately, it's someone willing to step forward to probate the estate. Uh, we have a situ had a situation, we still do. Gentleman passed away in Manchester, um, had no family, had no known, literally no known family at all, at all, at all. Not even, we couldn't even find a, a nephew or a niece. Um, not only did he have a nice house, he had, and the reason I know this because I had checked with our attorney a, uh, a couple weeks ago, he had a baseball card collection that was probably worth in excess of $100,000. He also had a huge, by the way, if anyone's interested in a baseball card collection, let me know and I can put you in touch <laughs> with that attorney. That was um, <laughs> so in, in this case, we ended up stepping forward as a funeral home that was called by the police. We had the gentleman here. We couldn't request probe, I mean, we couldn't request financial assistance from, in this case, the city of Manchester because the person had, plenty, had, assets, of, had yeah. plenty of money, mm -hmm. um, had a nice house, didn't have a mortgage on the house, had a, had a couple cars, had the baseball collection, had a coin collection. So every funeral home probably manages and handles this differently, but we ended up calling an attorney to probate the estate. It's going to be 6 to 12 months before things get settled. Um, we've, we've made arrangements for his, you know, for his cremation and, and internment. Um, we were able to find that he had parents. Obviously, everyone has parents. Right. Um, but we were able to find that he had parents, and his parents were actually buried in a cemetery in the Manchester area, so we were able to have him cremated and have him buried, so at least he has a place to go. But um, that's the answer to your question. Took took me a while to get there, <laughs> um, but it depends. If someone's indigent and has no family, then we're requesting welfare assistance. If someone is not indigent, and then then really it's probate court and finding a funeral home and or someone that's going and a lot and of, a lot of and, and you know, in some cases we're we're able to find a friend mm -hmm. who says, listen, I, I'll step forward and I'll do the probate or I'll, you know, I'll loan out the money and get reimbursed in the mm -hmm. probate court. So that luckily that doesn't happen too, too often. It would be sad if it did, if that happened it a does. lot. Um, it would be very but sad. But it happens more times than, than people would be mm -hmm. willing to, to know about. So Right. Yep. Um, what about... Um, Third-party caskets. Okay, so this is completely just shifting off of our, our topic of custody and control, but this is another real, real popular issue, real contentious issue with funeral service. Mm -hmm. Third-party caskets. And it shouldn't be a contentious issue. Um, the Federal Trade Commission back, this was not in 84, this was somewhere in the 90s, specified that the consumer could actually bring in their own casket. Um, that was actually from families that enjoyed making their woodworking, making their caskets. But now there's a whole there's a whole market. You can buy caskets on the internet. You can buy caskets at box stores. Walmart, yeah. um, Costco. Costco. Yeah. So funeral homes by law have to allow families to bring in their own casket. Mm -hmm. Then what was happening is some funeral homes said, well fine, if you're bringing in the casket, we're losing our margin on the casket sale, then we're going to charge you a casket handling fee right. to accept the casket, work with the deliverer, throw away all the, you know, the, the paper and, and, the, and, the, and the packaging. The Federal Trade Commission then came in and said, and they modified the rule and said, eh -eh, can't charge a handling fee either. So the bottom line is if a consumer wants to bring in their own casket, that is fine. Uh, funeral home can't charge more. 
They can't charge you um, differently. Now, what they can do, for example, in our case, we have a lot of packaged services that bundle in the services and the casket and the vault and the flowers, and it provides a pretty robust discount. If a family chooses to bring in their own casket, obviously those packages don't make sense because the packages include the casket, and if you're not getting the casket, obviously you can't not get the casket, but also assume you're getting the, the package discount. So in some cases, some of our packages are off the table, but a funeral home can't treat a consumer differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a few casket stores here in, in New England. Um, the internet, we had a we had a family that purchased um, sort of a funny story, not really, it wasn't funny to them. <laughs> um, family purchased a casket online. And they weren't doing it to save money. They did it because another family member out of state wanted to participate and couldn't get here. So she bought a casket. I think it was from Amazon or something. In any event. Um, did so you get it from on Prime? Free I, shipping? I don't. It was <laughs> definitely not free shipping. And the reason I know this is because the casket was being delivered to um, the airport, to Logan. Mm-hmm. And the service was on, I'm making up the days, the service was on a, 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 um, a Tuesday, the casket was supposed to be delivered Monday, and we told the family, you know, your, your services are, are Tuesday morning, we need to have the casket here, you know, ideally by the day before, um, preferably by noon or so, so we could put the person, well, there was an issue with the delivery, and then they had to coordinate a shipping company to pick up the casket at the airport, the family came in wanting to see the casket before it got here, it wasn't here. Mm-hmm. We were able to get a hold of the shipping company who was supposed to actually pick up the casket at the airport and bring it here, and he was stuck in traffic in New Jersey. And this is like at 4 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So the casket was sitting at Logan Airport, and they asked us if we could go down and pick it up and bring it here. And I said, sure. Our you know, charges for use of a hearse, $395 to go, two guys down there and back, and maybe a little mileage fees. And the family said, well, we saw a casket that you have, and it, it, if we pay you three ninety five, then the casket you offer in stock is actually less than the casket we bought online. Yeah. And I said, well, yeah. If if we didn't have to pay for shipping for any of our caskets, we could probably knock off three or four hundred dollars for every single casket. Come to find out, we were able to get in touch with the the driver. He was able to make it from New Jersey to New Hampshire. He delivered it around nine or ten o'clock at night. We had one of our staff members stay here late. So I mean, it all works out great if it works out. Great, but there, there's generally there's a logistic issue. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean there are logistical the why you issues. Just let the professionals handle it. <laughs> and I'm fine. I mean it's not like um, you know we have people bringing in third party caskets daily. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I mean it's you know it's months. not even once a month. Yeah. It's you know it's a half few times a year. And in most cases it's because you know I'm a woodworker. I wanted to make a casket mm-hmm. for my wife or something, and they they're beautiful. Yeah. Um, well, but what if they're not? What happens when it's what if like they're a not beautiful? Junker. Like well, it's falling apart. It's you know the sides are coming off, the bottom's falling out. What, what do you do then? We do have a um, as, as as most funeral homes should. We do have a, a third party merchandise disclosure that the families have to sign, and we say, hey, listen, we're accepting this, but we're not warranting this. We're not you know we're not we're not guaranteeing that it's it's can it can hold a you know your your dad's three hundred and fifty pounds, and this casket looks a little flimsy that your brother made in the back and. Um, we want to make sure that, God forbid, if something happens, that you know we're not liable for it. If they bought it from Costco, then it's Costco. The same thing with with the delivery, and if it comes with a scratch on it or something. So we do have, you know, we do have a third party form that that the family must sign when it's here to make sure that there's no issues. And the same thing with with urns as well. Mm-hmm. So we're, I guess, we're 
kind of running out of time here. Um, how about a, just a quick discussion on something called cash advance items and the requirements around cash okay. advances? So cash advance items are probably one of the, the sort of the mis, misunderstood parts of funeral arrangements. So generally funeral homes have three parts of services or three parts of a, of a quote-unquote funeral bill. There's generally what we call professional service charges. Those are the things the funeral home charges for the embalming or the renting the funeral home for the for the wake or the crematory fee and all the itemizations for things, you know, the, the hearse that the family's getting a limo, those things. The merchandise is anything the family's buying. So if they're buying a casket or flowers or an urn or memorial products or monuments, those get all itemized under merchandise. And then the third item, and, and funeral homes, that's where we make our money. That's where we actually can stay in business because we we charge service charges and we mark up our merchandise. The third category is what we call cash advances. They're generally accommodation items that the family is asking us to purchase on their behalf and pay on their behalf so the family's not writing out 10 or 20 checks the morning of the funeral. Right, so it's a c- convenience item. It's convenience items. So, for example, there are checks to pay the cemetery fee for the opening of the grave. Or newspaper notices. Hey, we want we want my mom's obituary in the Union Leader, National Telegraph, Concord Monitor, Boston Globe, whatever. So the family's not calling those those um, those newspapers individually. Um, we have accounts of all the papers. We'll we'll not only place the obituary, we'll also pay the fees for those things. Paying for state fees for death certificates, um, clergy, musicians. So that way the family is not. Now the thing that most nearly most funeral homes that I'm aware of, and there are 85 or so funeral homes in New Hampshire. Um, will, as an accommodation, pay those checks. But what's important to understand is that the funeral home legally can mark up those cash advances. We choose not to. Um, Funeral homes that do doesn't make them bad funeral homes. But they must disclose on their price list and on the disclosure they give to the family that we charge you for cash advances. So, for example, I had a a person that called me a couple weeks ago, and they were comparing a couple different funeral homes. And they were looking at a certain cemetery, and the, and they came back and said, "Oh, buddy, you must have made a math mistake because you charged us, you know, nine hundred dollars for the opening of the grave for whatever cemetery, and the other funeral home charged us a thousand dollars." And I said, "Nope, they're they're charging you a hundred dollars for purchasing that item for the convenience for the convenience of that. So it is fine for a funeral home to to upcharge that. They just have to disclose that on their price list." So not a lot of funeral homes do, but again, doesn't make them bad funeral homes. And a funeral home doesn't have to write those checks out. They can certainly coordinate it and say, okay, these are the six checks that we're going to need. You needed to write a check to Father Joe for you know $200, to Pine Grove Cemetery for $900, for the state of New Hampshire for death certificates for $30 for mm-hmm. these newspapers. So that's okay too. Funeral home does not have to. In some smaller funeral homes, um, you know, sometimes we choose not to because it's you know it's a big, it's a big um, cash flow item. You know, mm-hmm. if they're writing out thousands of dollars of right. checks and having to wait for insurance claims or, or prepayments from trusts or mm-hmm. funny, the family coming up with money, it could be you know it could be a financial a pretty good pretty good burden on them. So gotcha. Um, thank you, Manny. Some great questions. Thank, and I think this is the show that's never going to end. The show that never because we, <laughs> we still have lots and lots and lots. Of, yeah. <laughs> So we have we have another show in the bank for uh, <laughs> we're gonna take a break and when we come back more of Dying to Talk. Welcome back to Dying to Talk, and I'm your host, Buddy Feneff. Well, another uh, as we as we mentioned, Mandy, we have lots of questions. I will uh, we had a lot of people um, that had asked some questions about 
where you can legally scatter cremated remains. We had some questions about cemetery regu- regulations and vaults. So we're going to have to save that, unfortunately, for another show. But part some, three. Part three. Part three. Uh, next week, our topic is, I call it weird and unusual options for placement of cremated remains <laughs> and an green awful. burials, but <laughs> it's, it's really for, for solutions to invented problems. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are out there in creating these really unique things for funeral service that maybe their time hasn't quite come yet. Right. Maybe it'll never come. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have Lee Webster. Lee has been a, a frequent visitor on our show. Um, Lee is the president of the new bunch of things, one of which is the, the New Hampshire Home Funeral, National Home Funeral Alliance. She's on the Green Burial Council. So she's on New Hampshire Free. She's on New Hampshire Free. So she's going to talk to us about um, some of these solutions to basically created problems that entrepreneurs are coming up with these different options and if they make sense. Um, so we will be inviting Lee back again next week. Uh, if you have a question or want to know something about um, next week's topic, send me an email, buddy at finef.net. That's buddy at P-H-A-N-E-U-F dot net, and we will do our best to ask Lee. We only have one upcoming community service event to let you know about. Um, Our next Lunch and Learn is going to be on June 22nd at the back room, where we always have it, 12 to 1.30, limited to 12 lucky people who want free chicken fingers. I want free chicken fingers. And learn about pre-planning. So that is our our monthly event um, at the back room. This will be our last event of the season, um, we're going to take um, my sister Michelle, who runs these events for us, going to take be taking off, not not actually on vacation for this, but we're not going to be doing a, a seminar on July in, or August. We'll be picking it up again in September. So, if you've not been to one of our free lunch and learns, give us a call six two five five seven 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 June twenty second at the Back Room Restaurant in Manchester from twelve to one thirty. Uh, Mandy, can you manage the trivia without Madison? Can I you think somehow? I can handle okay. it. All right. So last week's trivia question was, what is the accepted construction material used for a burial casket in the Jewish funeral rite? And the answer is, traditionally, people of the Jewish faith are buried in all wood caskets. Uh, the winner of last week's question was chosen at random based upon all those who answered the question correctly. The winner's name is posted on our Facebook page, so please friend us. Um, this week's trivia question how many emblems of belief are available for a family to choose from on a government marker for a deceased veteran? So how many emblems of belief are available for a family to choose from on a government marker for a deceased veteran? If you know or think you know the correct answer, you can email at us at, email us at info at phaneuf.net. That's info at P-H-A-N-E-U-F dot net. The winner will be chosen at random to win a free Dying to Talk t-shirt. Great. Thanks, Mandy. And thank you all again for joining us this week. I'm your host, Buddy Feneff, and we'll be dying to talk to you again next week.